Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. All right, so we're shifting over to a children's moment. And so how many kids do we have in here? Shout out hallelujah. Hallelujah! Well, there's one right here. So I know you, Journey, you make me laugh in my heart. You do, you're awesome. So I I know some of you came this morning expecting children's uh, ministry to be up and going, but the fifth Sunday of every month, we do a children's moment and we wanna do a family-oriented service. Uh, I try to be as entertaining as possible when it gets to the sermon. I'll do my best today to keep the kids engaged. But uh, right now, it is specifically kid's moment, but adults can learn as well. Your name is? Melissa Hickman. Melissa Hickman. All right, good. Good to see you again. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. So it's almost November. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it's almost November. November is a month whenever a lot of us spend time saying thanks for the things that we're thankful for, reflecting on the things that we're grateful for. But I want you to think about something. What if you woke up this morning and the only things that you had were the things that you said thanks for yesterday? Let me say that again. What if you woke up this morning and the only things that you had were the things that you said thanks, that you thanked God for yesterday? I don't know about you, but that question kind of stopped me in my tracks the first time I heard it. How thankful am I? How much time do I spend being grateful for the things that I have? The Bible puts an emphasis on giving thanks. Over and over, the scriptures tell us to remember all that God has done and for us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude takes nothing for granted, but remembers to say thanks for everything, including the little things. Think about everything you used this morning. A toothbrush. I'm thankful for a toothbrush. I'm thankful I have one. I know if I didn't have one, I would wish I did. What about a hair tie? When you need it, you're thankful for it. When you don't have it, you miss it. If you don't need it, you don't know about it. (laughs) So I saw Dave up front here going, eh, I don't need one. (laughs) Um, But those of us who have hair, when you need a hair tie, you're thankful for it. What about things like uh, paper clips, Ziploc bags, um, the little things, but also the big things. Obviously, we need to be thankful for the big things in our lives, like food, Clothing, shelter, family, friends, and of course, God's love and grace for us. So in life, we have a choice. We can either be humbly grateful, and if we're not humbly grateful, we'll likely become grumbly hateful. Did you get that? So we can either be humbly grateful. If we're not, we'll likely become grumbly hateful. Know anyone like that? Anybody can think of somebody like that? So the difference between these two attitudes is often more related to our perspective than it is what the reality is. So think about it. There are some people who have so much, so much to be thankful for, but rather than being grateful, they are instead dissatisfied, discontent, and they don't mind letting other people know about it either. 
They can kind of rub off on other people around them, and other people can become miserable too if they're not careful. So the problem here might be an entitled sense, an inflated sense of entitlement. So that's an attitude that says I'm owed much more than I'm getting. That's at odds with a sense of gratitude. We are called to have a sense of gratitude and an attitude of gratitude. So you see, gratitude is not a measurement of how much we have, but more so how thankful we are for what we do have. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. Gratitude flows from recognizing all that we have is from God. It's not ours. We can't hold on to it tightly. All that we have is from God. James 1.17 tells us, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. When we understand everything we are and everything we have is a gracious gift and a blessing from God, our perspective can change. After all, exactly what is it that we deserve? What do all of us deserve? What does the Bible say we deserve? Death. I heard it up here. The Bible says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 and 6.23. That's what we deserve. That's what we're owed. So if we are receiving anything better than that, we are, as Dave Ramsey might say, doing better than we deserve. If you've ever heard him say that, we're doing better than we deserve. So if we view our lives from the perspective of entitlement, we'll complain about how empty the box is. The box is empty. It's empty. There's nothing in it. We'll complain about that. But if we view our lives from the perspective of gratitude to God for all of his blessings, we'll see how truly full the box is and open to possibilities. We hope to help our children develop this kind of perspective. But as adults, our examples and our choices as parents and as influencers in kids' lives will either encourage an attitude of gratitude or it will foster a spoiled sense of entitlement. So what do we do about that? How do we address that? Here's what we need to remember. Three things. Give God thanks for the wonderful things he's given us, big and small. Give God thanks. Say thanks. Okay. Ask him to forgive us when we're ungrateful so we can ask God to forgive us. And then we also want to thank him for his grace and mercy. So we're focusing on being thankful and being grateful for what we have. Um, we're finishing up the last day of October, and so we have a little special something that we'd like to do. Um, we'd like to say thanks and not take for granted what we have and who we have in our pastor here. So, Brandon, are you around? Brandon, would you come on up, please? So, and Ethan is going to come up. So, our children's ministry and our youth ministry have um, been spending the past month doing a special little something-something for Brandon. And we want to honor you and thank you for who you are and your influence in all of these kids' lives. So first of all, from our kids' ministry, we have a little work of art. Oh, I love that. And this has all the kids' fingerprints starting. This migrated from nursery, preschool, elementary. We have all the kids and some of the leaders' fingerprints on there, too. So that is for you as a thank you. That is sweet. That's great. Thank you, guys. Oh, and Ethan's got the mic now. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, I have the mic now. (laughs) 
All right, buddy. So basically, I've been playing this, this for about two months. You have? Yes. When I believe, I forgot who was, but uh, <laughs> it gave me an inspired idea to make a card. Oh, wow. For you. And I kept it a secret about two months. Wow, that's a long time to keep a secret. <laughs> yes. And um, so basically, I give you a hand to pass a week about what the card is or yeah. the gift was. And of course, you said a dead rattlesnake or something. <laughs> yes. And so this is my gratitude to help me and pass my rough times. And, oh. and I really do appreciate from, uh, from the harsh times yeah. words and the good time words. Oh, thanks, buddy. And so basically the whole entire youth group has made this card no for you. No kidding. How cool is that? Check that out. And a kid's miniature seat, too. Look at that. I love it. Thanks. Can I have a hug? Sure thing. Now, you got to go hug everybody else in the youth group. No. No? <laughs> so much hugs. Thank you so much. This You're is so, so awesome. Thank you, buddy. Wow. How do, I, how do I follow that? That's kind of a hard one to follow. Let me lay these down over here. Um, that's very special. Thank you, guys. Um, encouragement after encouragement. Let me just say, several of you here are, are relatively new this morning, and you may not know who I am. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I have been feeling, I mean, today puts the icing on the cake, but I've been feeling so much encouragement lately. I mean, everybody's been saying, let's go Brandon and all that. It's been, it's been I've been so stoked. And... Uh, I mean, everywhere I go, I'm hearing it chanted everywhere. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You guys are, and I don't even, maybe it's our broadcast ministry now. Maybe I'm known more broadly in the community than I ever have been before. I get emails in my inbox from people in this church. I don't know why Biden's face is on it, but still, I'm getting a lot of encouragement these days. So thank you guys. How do you say, why is there candy on the stage? People throwing candy? You're throwing candy up here again, aren't you? Somebody's flattened that with a footprint. All right. I'm going to try to go as quickly as possible. I know time is of the essence, but we're closing out a series today on the peace in giving. What is the peace that we have in giving? And uh, one of the subjects that I just loathe the talking about, and some of you have scolded me for this, but it's money. I don't like talking about money. And I, you, you, I've told you at the beginning of this series, the reason I don't like talking about money in the church is because I grew up with a dad who wasn't a believer in Christ up until two years before he passed away. And the biggest issue he had, other than not believing in God for the longest time, was all the church cares about is manipulating your emotions and getting into your wallet. And so even as a young Christian, I grew up with that. And I grew up with that mantra being shouted in the background from my stepfather. And it's really, when I got into the ministry, was one of those things that I'm like, I, I honestly know that God can provide and will provide. And so why do I need to even talk about it? But as you go along in ministry, you realize not the importance of money, but the importance of what money can do within the body of Christ Positively, but also negatively, if it's abused. 
Um, but the bigger issue is what does Scripture say about money? And if you're here for the first time today and you're like, oh, no, this is one of those stewardship giving things, um, hang on with me for a moment because it may not be what you expect. Okay, so stick around, stick with me. I know several of you have kids in here and we're going to make this as fun as possible. Whenever you feel like I've made a good point, just say, let's go Brandon and we'll be good to go. We'll just replace the amens with the let's go, what? Oh, and there you have it. All right, so, so today, I mean, I wanna talk about how giving, the first week we did this, three weeks ago, it was an act of worship. Today, I wanna talk about how it's an act of sacrifice. The Bible mentions money over and over and over again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Today, I wanna look specifically at the New Testament and not only what Jesus says, but also what Paul says about giving in the New Testament. I don't wanna take these passages out of context. I'm not going to manipulate you to give. As I've said before, I don't know people's personal giving records. I don't look at those. We have a team that manages the finances. I see the bottom line of what the income and the outflow is so that I can see those types of details, but I don't look at personal giving records. So, and you may think I'm lying to you, but honest to goodness, I don't do that. And that's a, that's a value of mine that I put into place over 20 years ago when I started into the ministry, that if I became a senior pastor, I wouldn't want to see that. Why? Because I'm human. And human nature is we begin to cater toward people if we're not careful, correct? Yes, we do. And so I know to be human is to oftentimes fail. And so I don't want to put myself in a situation where I would begin to be one way to one person and another way to another. So when I preach, it gives me a whole heck of a lot more freedom to preach the word in all of its fullness, knowing that I'm an equal opportunity offender. Actually, I'm not. The scripture is. Let's be honest. Because if I knew what people gave and I thought that a message would potentially upset somebody who gives a lot of money to the church, then I might say, well, maybe I shouldn't preach the way I normally would preach on this. Do you see where I'm getting at? Okay, just let's clear that up. Now let's jump in. <laughs> I found this illustration I thought was really good. It's uh, by uh, Kasky Stennett, who writes, a fellow in our office told us recently of a household incident of which he had been an innocent but perplexed spectator. He says, our friend had called a Venetian blind repairman to come and fix a faulty blind in their house. And the next morning, while the family was seated at the breakfast table, the doorbell rang. Our friend's wife went to the door and the man outside said, I'm here for the Venetian blind. So excusing herself in a preoccupied way, the wife went to the kitchen, fished out a dollar from the food money, pressed it into the repairman's hands, and then gently closed the door and returned to the table. And the husband said, who was that? Oh, it's just somebody collecting, she explained, and then she began to pour the coffee. So we can get confused oftentimes about money. We can get confused about people's purposes in life and why things happen the way they do. I want to look at a passage from Luke chapter 21. I'll give you a chance to turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. But we're also, put your finger in Luke chapter 21, we're going to also go to 2 
2 Corinthians chapter 9. So it's a two-part today, really quickly, as we look at this issue of giving. Mother Teresa, who knew what it was like to have very little by way of money or monetary means, um, is known as saying, if you give what you do not need, it isn't truly giving, is what she says. Giving is a complicated thing. In the New Testament, Jesus and Paul address money and giving with relative clarity. Let's listen to what Jesus writes, or what Jesus said, I should say. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched rich people dropping their gifts into a collection box. And again, let me give you a little bit of the history here. Collection boxes were these large uh, jars that had been you know, blazed in a furnace, molded and blazed in a furnace, and they would stand about three to four feet tall. They would be at different locations in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Um, and as you step through a threshold of a door, you would find a jar on either side, more than likely, of that door that you could pay tribute or money to, or what they would call your tithe to. If you went to different locations in the temple grounds, they also had these temple boxes set up or temple jars set up where you could pour money into those. So this was a way of keeping up the temple complex. It was a way of helping to provide for the Levitical priesthood um, that were there as well. It was a way that the ministry of Judaism would continue with their religious structure. You say, well, that's Old Testament. We don't live in the Old Testament anymore. That is correct. But I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, or he goes on to say, then a poor widow came by and she dropped in two small coins. It is thought by most scholars, it were, they were mites, M-I-T-E, and a mite was a form of money. It was copper. And it would have been about half the size of a uh, penny in the United States. So if you take a penny and you cut it in half, you have about two mites, okay? Um, and then Jesus sees what's going on there. And I want you to get, keep this in your mind. There are people, when you drop coin money into a box or a jar, does it make noise? You see, what I think about is going into Giant Eagle where we shop sometime here by the mall or going into the bank. They have these coin machines where you can take your coins in and exchange them. Those are noisy machines, aren't they? So, I, and, and oftentimes I go in there and somebody's got a coffee can full of coins and they're dumping them in and I'm here to clank, 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 right next to the cash registers, right? You can hear this. So now imagine, if you will, that's what's going on at different places in the temple. There's these people that are bringing in a lot of coinage and they're dropping them and as it drops into these vats or these boxes or jars, it makes a lot of money. Do you think a woman with basically a penny would have made any kind of noise amidst all the hustle and bustle in the temple? Not one bit. It would have barely, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it barely, it would have never been noticed. But who does Jesus notice? He notices her. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow was given more than all the rest of them. Now, Jesus was always one who was telling or saying perplexing things, what would seem to be contradictory by human nature. How was this woman who's given a penny to the temple tithe complex, how was she giving more than anybody else? I mean, you see these people bringing denarius or denaria, denarii, dumping them in there. You see them bringing gold. These rich and wealthy people are dumping a ton of money in these vats. And this woman, 
Jesus says she's given more than anybody else in this place has. You see, for they have given only a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Last week we talked about Matthew 23 and we looked at the woes to the Pharisees. And in there, in that one, uh, two verse segment, um, Jesus is calling the disciples out for many different things. But he calls them out for their tithing um, uh, processes. And he says, you know, you Pharisees, you tithe 10% of your dill, your cumin, and your, your spices. You, you tithe 10% of that. He says, yeah, that's a good thing to do, but you've neglected the weightier matters. Justice, mercy, and faith. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and those who are caught up in religiosity miss the point oftentimes because they think it's about going through certain motions and doing, doing certain things with neglect of the heart of the matter. And what Jesus is pointing out, you see, this lady didn't have two nickels to rub together. She had two mites, but not two nickels. And she walks over and she knows she's not going to be looked at at all. Do you think she cares? No, because if she was doing it to be noticed, she would have found a way to get more money so that she could be looking around as she dropped this money in there. Do you see what's happening? Jesus says she knows that she's not going to be noticed. She knows that it's not about getting the accolades and the pats on the back and making people look at you so you have a better reputation in the community. It's all about sacrifice to the one who matters most. You see, the real issue here isn't the money, but the heart with which the money's given. I remember talking about this several years ago when I hit on giving in 2014. And I've told you before, it made a few people upset because I wasn't teaching strictly on giving 10%. Now, Jesus never said you shouldn't give 10%. Remember what he said to the Pharisees last week? Sure, you should have given the 10%. Sure, of your dill, your cumin, your mint, and all that. But you've neglected the weight of your matters. See, Jesus wasn't abolishing that process, but he was saying, you guys have missed the whole mark. It's not even about 10%. The reality is it's what's in the heart. This lady, how much does she give? Now, you're going to hear a mixed message if you take away. Brandon said, you should give your whole paycheck to the church, 100%. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the problem is when we relegate giving to a percentage, we've already missed the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we relegate monetary giving of our resources and what God has blessed us with, whether it's great or small, when we relegate it to a percentage, what we've done is we've missed the point. Because it's about a heart issue more than just going through the motions. And we as a church, and I'm not just talking about North Maine, but Christian churches across the globe have a way of getting caught or stuck in a rut. Yeah? 
Yeah, we do. We get stuck in a rut and we start finding ourselves spinning our wheels. And why do we do that? Because it's easier to go through the motions than it is to constantly be aware of how our actions affect those around us and our relationship with God. Oh, that is horrible. But I like it. (laughs) I gave you way too much to go on. Here, have these Tootsie Rolls. I gave all that I had, two mites. All right. uh, All right. Now I'm I'm, I'm really, let's get back, come back with me. All right. Second Corinthians chapter nine. As we look at verses six through eight this morning, before we get there, what's going on in 2 Corinthians? Actually, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul is raising money from the Macedonian churches as a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to know how ironic this is. Where was the birthplace of Christianity? Jerusalem. Where did Jesus, where was he crucified? Where was he dead and buried? And where did he raise from the grave? And where did the first movement of believers in Christ start? Jerusalem. Now you could, we could argue, well, it started in Galilee and Nazareth. Yes, 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 yes. But really where all of this comes, the crux of the issue is Jerusalem. All right? So he's there in Jerusalem. He's crucified. He deals with the problem of sin by being crucified on the cross. He raises from the grave and overcomes death. So he dealt once and for all with sin and death for those who would believe in him. This is why when he's taking of that cup and he's saying, and he's blessing it and he's saying at the last supper, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. Why isn't it for the sins of all? Have you ever wondered? It's because the sins of many, he knows there will be many that don't choose him, that reject him. It doesn't mean it's not an offering for all people at all times, but the reality is in that moment as he's blessing this cup and he's giving new significance to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, of himself, he's saying, take and drink for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. The truth of the matter is he knows that only some will receive him and believe in him and receive everlasting life. So now he's doing that. And then Paul, who's taking up this collection of all places for the church in Jerusalem, the headquarters of Christianity. We have a headquarters for the church of God that we are a part of. It is in Anderson, Indiana. That would be like North Maine taking up a collection with other western Pennsylvania churches of God to send back to the headquarters in Anderson because the headquarters in Anderson is really struggling and having a hard time staying afloat. Okay? And so Paul, he's writing this. He's instructing these people But there's a little bit of bristling that's going on. Why should we give to them? What have they ever done for us? Do you know we get caught in that same mentality? Why would I want to give to this person? What have they ever done for me? Why would I want to give to this organization or that thing or this cause? Why would I want to give to that church? What have they ever done for me? And they go into it with the wrong mentality. So Paul's addressing this. So listen in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. 
And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That one is often not preached in the church. Have you ever heard one of those televised preachers who's always asking for money say, listen, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure? No, you really don't. It is not a common thing for a pastor, a preacher, or an evangelist to say. Basically, what Paul is saying is, if you feel pressured or you're doing it reluctantly, don't do it. Let's see what else he says. For God loves the person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Now, this is the name it, claim it, faith you know, if you give, you'll receive. I want you to understand, don't misinterpret what's being said here. I've heard preachers abuse this, and they will stand at the judgment seat of Christ someday and have to give account for this false teaching, okay? I've heard this preached from many a stage across the nation and even across the globe. If you give, God's going to give you back a thousandfold, So give sacrificially. Give even beyond what you can. And God will pour out. You're going to win the lottery. You're going to get the new house you've always wanted. Now, that will be taken out of context if it's clipped in this sermon, you know, somebody online. See what Brandon's preaching? No, that's not what I'm saying. This is a false, false gospel that's being preached. Do not give reluctantly. And do not give in response to pressure, for God, (coughs) excuse me, loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Did you hear that? Not all you want, all you need. Let me say that again. What is twisted is God will give you all, period. Not all you want. But he gives all you need. And that is true. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, here's the takeaway from these two passages. And really quickly this morning is this. God doesn't need your money. Let me say that again. God doesn't need your money. It's not like he's broke. All right? We think of God, uh, let me pull this stuff out of my pockets. We think of God like this. We have this poster, we should, should, like this, and he's going. (laughs) That is not the impression you should have of God. God has all he needs. You've heard the thing, he owns cattle on a thousand hills, yes? So he doesn't need it. So then why do we do it? Again, it's an act of worship. It's an act of giving of ourselves to something bigger than we are. It's an act of sacrificing For something bigger than we are. It's not that God needs it, but it's that God uses it to promote and to build up the body of Christ, as well as to expand his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Can he do that without money? Of course he can. But the problem is that we get selfish. And when we get selfish, what happens? We think everything we have is mine, mine, mine. We don't see it as a blessing from God. And we become very possessive of something that could very quickly be taken away. If we view everything that we have in life as a blessing from God, when it is gone, we see it as something that has been entrusted to us for a time, 
whether it's our children, our resources, our homes, our cars. Your car is never new after you drive it off the lot, is it? No, and it's prone to rust and weather and fade and all that stuff. You never get really anything back out of it in the end other than taking you from point A to point B. So God doesn't need our money. Rather, he desires our hearts. And the way he desires our heart, he doesn't need our money but desires our hearts. If our hearts are encapsulated by the things of this world, does God have our hearts? No. So do you see what happens with regard to monetary things? When we are open to give what we have been given, then it doesn't have that kind of control on us. Especially when you give out of a sense of of generosity and joy rather than giving out of a sense of compulsion or pressure. God doesn't need our money. He desires our hearts. However, giving to God sacrificially from our resources is a great reminder to us from where all good gifts come. Number one, the spirit with which the gift is given is one of the things we need to take into consideration. There's a story of a mother who wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. And so she gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Put whichever one you want in the collection plate in children's ministry and keep the other one for yourself, she told her daughter. Should I keep the quarter or the dollar? And so the moment came when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given in children's church that morning. And the daughter said, well, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the, the teacher said that we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I only gave the quarter, so I did. <laughs> so, again, there's truth to that. You should not give out a compulsion or pressure. But the question therein lies, is what you're giving out of a cheerful heart, truly? Is it out of a sacrificial way to give? Here's, here's a contrast. Cheerf, cheerful givers don't worry about percentages or social benefits, or special privileges. Rather, cheerful givers are more concerned about giving as an act of worship to God. Cheerful givers give out of a sheer desire to see God glorified through their giving. They give because they have been given so much by God through Jesus. You see, the gift of salvation through Jesus is much more than they could ever give in return, and so they give out of the complete joy of the salvation that Christ gave them. It's a shift of perspective. What about selfish givers? Selfish givers, on the other hand, give in order to receive. They concern themselves with what other people may think of them. Selfish givers sometimes throw their weight around to get what they want with the threat that they'll discontinue their giving or just go somewhere else with their money. I remember the first two months being on staff here nine years ago. I had an older gentleman who is no longer in the church here, so don't look around the place here, who came up to me. He had given me an ultimatum to preach against abortion and against homosexual marriage before the election that year. It was 2012, big presidential election year. And I said, hey, I'm right with you on those issues. I don't agree with homosexual marriage. I don't agree with abortion. You guys may have may not like that, but that's the truth. That's how I understand scripture. And so, but he called me out and he was kind of rude to me after service in front of a whole group of people. 
got under my skin, but I prayed about it throughout the week, and I said, I need to gently rebuke this guy, not because I feel like I've been embarrassed in front of people, but because um, that's not the way to handle these issues. I'm more than happy to talk with anybody in the right context and the right time. And so, again, I've always said, I have an open-door policy in my office, all right? And so, the next week came along, right before Sunday school started, and I said, can we have a talk? Uh, sure. And we come into the office and say, listen, last week, that wasn't the appropriate way to address the situation. I said, my door's open all, uh, all throughout the week when I'm in office. Could you set up a time to come meet with me when you have a sticking point? Let's talk over things in a, in a, in a more productive way, in a more productive environment. And he lit me up. <laughs> Again, I've only been here two months, and I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? And uh, he, he lit me up, and he had his tithe check in his, in his pocket, and he pulled it out, and he started flashing it at me. I just remember that. It was good times. You should have been there. And he starts flashing it at me and saying, all you care about is the almighty dollar. And he's like, because he was insinuating that I wouldn't preach against those things because I was afraid of stepping on people's toes and them not giving any money. And I said, I don't know who gives what around here. And no, that's not the point. The point is, I don't take my cues from people like you on what to preach. I take it from the Holy Spirit. So you got to step aside. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't say that for applause. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah, I know. Uh, but but what, I, what I did was, is listen, and he starts cussing at me. And I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. You know, and he literally is cussing me out in the office over the tithe check. And I'm like, Lord, why did you call us here? And he says, because of stuff like this. And, uh, and so we're here. But, but here's the thing. This guy obviously wasn't a cheerful giver, was he? <laughs> and he was throwing his weight around. All you care about is this. Now, I've been a senior pastor for, for well over a decade, many years now. Uh, let's see, how many? About 18 years, really. And, and I have experienced, not consistently, but I've experienced people like this who know they give a lot of money and who know that if they leave, it would make a financial dent in the budget. Again, I don't always know that, but some people have been bold enough to come say, you know, I give a lot. And uh, just want you to know that. I don't care. I mean, that's, that's my mentality. And we've lost some big givers. And it's, honestly, it's not because I'm prideful and don't care. It's because, honestly, their heart's not in the right place. If you're giving because you're a selfish giver and you have something to prove, do you think God is honored or worshiped by that? That's not an act of worship. That's an act of manipulation. And where do we know confusion and manipulation comes from? The enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And so my, my philosophy is, if you're giving, and you're giving a ton of money to the church, but your motives are from the enemy, I think God can sustain the body of Christ without you. And I don't mean that in a harsh or mean or vindictive way, but the reality, this is not the kind of message a, a typical board wants their pastor to preach. I'm just saying. But it's about a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Sure, there are many wealthy churches across this nation seemingly doing stuff for God. 
But what happens when those people fall from grace? Or the ministry crumbles because the selfish motives or the motives at all were just misaligned? It's not good. It's not good at all. All right, let me move on. The sacrifice with which the gift involves is vitally important. Um, Sir Henry Taylor is quoted as saying, he who gives what he would readily throw away gives without generosity, for the essence of generosity is in self-sacrifice. There's something of the sacrifice of giving. Um, As Jesus witnessed with the poor widow who gave the two mites and said she gave everything she had, um, do you think Jesus was just using hyperbole, or do you think he was actually telling the truth? And I mean, not that he'd never told the truth. Under, don't misunderstand me. A lot of times Jesus would use hyperbole, go to use extreme, uh, you know, stories to illustrate a, a point. I think he was literally saying this lady that was all she had monetary to her name, and she gave it. I don't want you to walk away from here saying Brandon expects you to give everything to the church. But here's the reality. Is what you have yours or is what you have God's? You have to make that determination in your heart. Is your house yours or is it on loan from God? Are your extra bedrooms yours or are they on loan from God? Is the car you have Or the mode of transportation you have, yours? Or is it a blessing from God? We said, Brandon, I don't have, I'm actually in a lot of debt right now. Okay? What are you doing? How are you working through those financial issues? What are you doing to honor God with everything you have? And really leaning into and trusting him to help get you to a place of stability and wholeness. See, one of the things I realize is that when I view everything I have as a gift from God, as I mentioned earlier, when it is taken away or when I don't have it anymore, it doesn't hurt like it normally would. You've heard the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, that's how we should hold on to everything we have very loosely. Otherwise, you live a very tormented life. Barclay, William Barclay, scholar and theologian writes, the rich have, uh, gave having nice, he's talking about the, the widow who gave her two mites and the rich there in the temple complex at the time. Listen to what he says, the rich gave having nicely calculated what they could afford. The widow gave with that utter reckless generosity which could give no more. Giving does not begin to be real until it hurts. Again, don't misunderstand my words with a televangelist or somebody else out there. Giving does not begin to be real until it hurts. A gift shows our love only when we have had to do without something or have had to work doubly hard in order to give it. How few people give to God like that. Now, let me give you an example. Sarah Lee and I at times get blessed with resources and extra research, not often, but occasionally we'll get a refund that we never thought we were going to get and what a blessing it is. And let me tell you, if, if 
uh, the car doesn't break down, something else does, and we have to use it. Like, the uh, Lord knew we were going to have that issue. But there's oftentimes where we've been blessed, and we've, we've been given extra, and, and we think, oh, good, now we've got a little bit of a cushion. And then when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying I'm that way all the time like I should be, but there's this little nudge or whisper that says, you know, somebody else is in need. And it's, you're like, yeah, I know they are, but we, we have been too, and thanks for the blessing. Click, and I hang up real quick. And then, you know, he rings back up again, and he's like, no, 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 seriously. Um, have you thought about maybe sacrificing what you were wanting to do with this and helping somebody else? And I'm like, yeah, I've thought about it, but, you know... Um, Honestly, we've been, this is a blessing. We've been waiting for the, I know you have been. And it'll get done, just not in your time. And inevitably, we become obedient to going that extra mile. Cheerfully and willingly, not begrudgingly or or under pressure, but really saying, okay, you're right, God. This is the right thing to do. And when we've done it, there there is a blessing that comes if you give it cheerfully and not under compulsion, that you can't put words on. I mean that sincerely. When we've been able to do that, whether it's for a project at the church or a family we know that's in you know, dire straits or whatever the case may be, it's like we never missed it. And that's the thing. We've been blessed with something we didn't bank on having to begin with. And now with the resources we've been giving, God's calling on us to bless somebody else with it. And though there may be a little bit of the inner turmoil, when obedience gives way to that, we're able to say, you know what? You're right, God. There's just this washing over of peace. That's why there's peace in true unadulterated giving when it's done as an act of worship and as an act of sacrifice. Let me close with this. I know time is, is, is running down, but uh, as our worship team comes forward to close this out today, Jesus and Paul wanted once and for all to put into perspective what a heart of giving really looks like. He knew, they knew that they were talking to Jewish people in a culture and in a time period and also Gentiles that resources, much like they are today, were either plentiful. Actually, let me say this. There was a starker divide in the social context. You had the uber wealthy, and then you had the poor. There was a caste system. But they knew, as the body of Christ, that there needed to be a different way of handling money and resources than the rest of the world handled it. And to bring in the worldly ways or the secular ways into the body of Christ with regard to money and finances was something that both Jesus and Paul were saying, no, in God's kingdom, it is different. It is different. Don't bring the worldly mindset of money into the church. Money is is a good thing to utilize for the right purposes, but the love of money is the root of all evil, Jesus says. Let me close with this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Do you believe that? It has nothing to do with money. Did you hear that? By 
His divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life, for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature, to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So the question is, are you a giving person? And does the giving of your resources bring you peace? And if not, why not? That's a good question to ask. Are you reluctant to give? Do you feel pressured? Because that's not the intent of the message this morning. The question is, do your possessions have hold of you or do you have hold of your possessions? Whether great or small. And do you see them as a blessing from God to use for his purposes rather than for your own? I promise you, try it for a month. Try to view everything you have as a blessing from God, giving him thanks for everything you have, not everything you don't have, and not wishing for everything you don't have. You might find yourself becoming a more contented person because you're focused on the right things with the right motives. And secondly, you might find that what you have is truly a blessing from God to be used for his glory and his purposes rather than for your own. You will find peace flowing through you like you've never experienced if you truly are able to do that. I'm going to close this morning with a word of prayer. I also want you to keep in mind the God who doesn't need your money desires your heart. What are the desires of your heart this morning? Maybe you need to come and pray and have somebody pray with you because the desires of your heart have been so skewed by so many different things. You come to my right. There's an altar down here. You can pray here and somebody will pray with you. See, we aren't called to do this thing called faith alone. But if you want to reckon with God some of the things that are weighing on your heart alone and have nobody disturb you, you can come to my left or right. No, there's nothing magical about these pieces of furniture, but there's something about stepping out for God that makes a difference. There's something about physically putting ourselves forward out of our comfort zone where the Holy Spirit can do some amazing things. Heavenly Father, in this place, again, I pray that you would be glorified today. As I prayed before service in my quiet time, that you would saturate and permeate the atmosphere of this space. That God, you would heal the sick that you would touch those with emotional issues and mental struggles, that, God, you would bring healing and transformation into this place this day. Oh, Heavenly Father, have your way. Move. Convict of sin. Encourage through the power of your Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. 
or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.